this, this is great. What a time to be alive. Charlie. What's your reaction to seeing this? I feel like I'm here at a historical moment in time. Taylor. How did you figure out a guy had a python in his pants? Python. Bloody, bloody, blah, 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 bloody, bloody, blah, blah, blah. Cooler. Yeah, baby. <laughs> the Como Water Cooler with Charlie Harger and Taylor Van Size. All right, welcome to the Como Water Cooler. I'm Charlie. And I'm Taylor. Coming up on today's show. Traffic stinks in Seattle, and if you drive your own car, this may be as good as it gets. Talk with a Seattle Times columnist who calls it, now they don't like it when you say it is at City Hall, Taylor. <laughs> he calls it, not me, a war on cars. And Pete Combs talks with PO drivers who want to get rid of the 405 toll lanes. Now, Pete may have 405 problems, but the bridge ain't one. You know that giant old bridge plunked on the side of Meridian and Puyallup? Well, we have an update on how the state is trying to get rid of it. A world exclusive, the guest everyone's trying to get. Siri joins us. Charlie and Taylor, I am never going to give you up. Well, that's nice. Never going to let you down. Really? Oh, come on now. Never going to turn around and hurt you. Siri and her shenanigans. What it means now that Apple is allowing outside programmers to work on her. And booze can make you how much happier? Jeff Pogula with a hard-hitting investigative piece. From booze to pot, marijuana is legal in so many states now, it's leading to fewer federal drug arrests. Also, we keep it clean on the show, but Brian Calvert, on the other hand. Their six-year-old had just said... Again and again, Riley said the word. What's the word? Today's secret word is... <laughs> that, and what if Dan Wilson forced Jay Buhner and his team to play with a salami instead of a bat? Como's Tom Hutler explains. But first, the real news. City of SeaTac is in damage control mode. Como's Carlene Johnson tells us a report has come out showing that Donnie Payne, city manager who resigned last month, was trying to map where all the Muslims lived. Well, now the Seattle Times reports an investigator says Payne had asked a staff member whether the city had the technological capability to map where residents of certain religions lived, namely Muslims. That proposal was viewed by many as ethnic profiling. Payne, a 47-year-old military veteran with no previous city management experience, says that is not the case. His goal was to gather the data so he could understand the city and serve its diverse population. He says the report is a hatchet job. His idea for mapping the city's Muslim residents never happened because the census doesn't collect religious information. The mayor, meantime, who appointed Payne, he ended up resigning. He said his blood pressure spiked to emergency levels during the investigation, but he remains on the council. Carlene Johnson, Como News. Also making headlines, the president of a local aerospace firm is apologizing for his campaign against the construction of a mosque. The controversy is renewing the public debate about Islam and those who oppose it. Peter Zeev is a founder and president of Electro Impact, a Boeing contractor in Mukilteo. He made headlines when he admitted he was behind a citywide postcard and flyer campaign opposing construction of the Islamic Center of Mukilteo. Now, it was Zeev's own sister, Wendy, who helped expose his role in the campaign. I have grave concerns about the serious harm that is being caused, sadly, by my own brother. Now, at his sister's urging, Zeev says he's sorry and will no longer oppose the center. And Zeev's campaign and apology now have led to a public discussion of the project spearheaded by a Christian church in Mukilteo. Unanimous decision from Washington's highest court. They say tax-limiting initiative 1366 is 
unconstitutional. Nine justices ruled the initiative violates a state law, saying initiatives must confine themselves to a single subject. Policy critic Jason Mercier says the will of the people remains clear. The court ruling today does not invalidate those six previous ballot measures the voters have approved and the consistent message that we want to have this type of tax restriction. Now, this is a Tim Eyman-backed initiative. It would have mandated lawmakers pass a two-thirds majority rule to raise taxes. It combined with an automatic sales tax reduction if the rule did not pass. And Mercier with the Center for Government Reform is calling on lawmakers to put a constitutional amendment before voters to make the two-thirds majority rule state law. Democratic Senator Reuven Carlisle says Eyman has a history of writing popular initiatives that are sure to be struck down. Elections matter, but the Constitution matters, and the integrity of the Constitution matters. Charlie, I have a question for you. Yes, please. Uh, ask away, Taylor. Have you, and I know I know you as a person, and I believe this to be something you've done, have you ever purchased government surplus, maybe a car or a computer? I used to go to the Boeing surplus store all the time in right. Kent. It was off 84th, I you think. get some spare landing gear or something. <laughs> so you know, you, you never know when you need a, a, a joystick. That's right. Well, Como's Brian Calvert has another unlikely item the state of Washington would love to unload. And it's up for viewing right now. Sitting quietly along the banks of the Puyallup River, a waterway this item used to be fairly intimate with. But with its usefulness now history, all that's left is this rusting 379-ton reminder of yesteryear. The old Steel Trust Puyallup River Bridge, built 91 years ago. They don't make them like this anymore, which is why there were plans to move it to a trailhead somewhere. But when those plans fell through, the state was placed in a precarious situation. Did you hear the one about that bridge for sale? We joke about selling a bridge, but can you actually do it? The internet comes in handy for just this type of query. It turns out the state of Missouri has some experience in this area with one caveat. That state's Department of Transportation currently has eight listings of old bridges, but they're offering them for free to someone who can reuse them. There's actually a federal law on the books that reads whenever a historic bridge is taken out of service, government must first try to repurpose it. But what do you do if there are no takers? What else do you do with a bridge over 2,500 feet long? A spokesperson for the Washington State Transportation Department tells the News Tribune they have to find a new home for this old bridge by 2019. At that point, the old Puyallup Bridge will be dismantled and sold off as scrap. And if you believe that, the state also has a bridge for sale. Brian Calvert, Como News. Now, Taylor, I, I, you and I are both South End guys. I drive by that bridge uh, probably once, twice a month, and I, I've looked at it and I've gone... What are they going to do with that? I'm thinking, you know, they just got to keep it stored away, kind of like the old streetcars in Seattle. You, know, you never know when you're going to need a good bridge. <laughs> you never know. So we go from that bridge to 405. Wow. People are ticked off about this. Yeah, they want to get rid of those uh, those toll lanes and put them where the, the old Puyallup River Bridge is. I, I think they want to stick it somewhere else, Taylor. <laughs> well, Como's Pete Combs reports, uh, every candidate vying for a seat in the state legislature has some questions to answer this week. And this time, it's about those toll lanes on I-405. If David Hobowitz and his group have their way, no candidate who supports toll lanes will survive the November elections. We want to identify who is for it and who is against it. Hobblewitz is a leader at Stop405Tolls.org, the group that helped force WashDOT to drop tolls at nights and on weekends and to make changes to the toll lanes between Bellevue and Linwood. They send questionnaires to all candidates for state legislature, governor, and lieutenant governor. If you're not with us, 
I'm not going to say we endorse you. One of the first questions, if elected, will you sponsor or co-sponsor a bill to repeal the 405 toll lanes? The turnaround time is really short. Candidates have until Wednesday to respond. Stop405tolls.org plans to announce its endorsements by the end of the week. Pete Combs, Como News. So we go from the east side to Seattle streets. And if you really want to make... Taylor, I've got a tip for you. Okay. Pro tip, been a reporter for a while here in Seattle. A really good tip, if you want to get the mayor really mad at you, doesn't no. matter who it is, Nichols, McGinn, Murray, when you talk about traffic, ask if it's a war on cars. If you want to see the mayor turn purple in the face, <laughs> <laughs> angrily denouncing you, those are that's a combination of words you use. War on cars. I didn't do this. I'm, I'm a little afraid to do something like Actually, that. Actually, well, who did? <laughs> well, Briar Dudley did. He's over at the Seattle Times. You know City Hall swears up and down it isn't, but you think this is a war on cars? Well, yes. I think it's been going on for a while, and now it's coming out in the open. I, maybe you could compare it to Vietnam or something like that. But, the, the yes, the city has a very explicit policy now, as proposed in the mayor's growth plan, to you know, dramatically reduce the number of cars on the streets. It thinks that cars are an inefficient use of city streets, and so it's doing, proposing, doing, and proposing all sorts of things to you know, the, uh, limit the number of cars that use and park on streets and drive in and through Seattle. And let's just talk about that because you bring up something in the column that I think a lot of people haven't keyed into, and that is single occupant vehicles, uh, how those really aren't going to count when it comes to improving traffic in Seattle. What's your understanding of how that's going to work? Well, yeah, the cities use these growth standards, and it gets, it gets geeky real fast, but they use these growth standards or you know, level of service standards to measure how well streets are performing. Seattle's has for a while now been measuring congestion. So our street, are there more cars on a stretch of street than its capacity? So like the Ballard Bridge under these measurements is now over capacity. And they want to move away from that. And instead they want to use a new measure. Nobody else in the state does this. They want to have the level of service will be determined by the number of single occupant vehicles on the road because their priority is to reduce the number of single occupant vehicles so that 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 diminishes concerns about congestion that means they're more concerned about the ratio of cars you know are we reducing the number of cars or are we managing congestion we know people listening to Como, a lot of them are driving in their cars when they're listening to us. So when they hear this story, uh, many are going to be driving in their car on their way home this afternoon. Uh, you're, you're saying the mayor and his SDOT director, Scott Kubley, kind of view driving as optional. It's a, a lifestyle choice, as I think you said there. Uh, uh, this is forcing people to change how they live. Can you, can you talk about that? Yes, I you know, if if you work in a place like downtown and you can take a bus, you know, more power to you. That's for some people that's convenient. It's great. Lots of people do that. More and more people are taking the bus, or they're living where they can walk to work and stuff like that. But that's not an option for people. I mean, for one thing, it's often ex- too expensive to live by where your office is located, or maybe you have a spouse who lives who has a job somewhere else, and you can't 
live within walking or biking distance of your office, or maybe you deliver stuff, or maybe you need to have tools with you and you can't carry those tools on a bike or a bus. So there's, there's about a million reasons why people have to drive. And one size fits all with transportation doesn't work, or two sizes fits all. And that's sort of the beauty of personal vehicles is, you know, everybody can have their choice how they're going to get around. And if you start taking those choices away or making them awful for people, you know, it really diminishes the quality of life for a lot of people. Now, you got people like former Mayor Mike McGinn. He, I, I'm sure you, you've at least heard word of it. He calls the column a screed, and neighborhoods, uh, the best thing for them is to tame cars coming through them, is what I, I think he said. How, how do you respond to comments like that? Yeah, I, I did respond to that one. I, I called him the General Westmoreland of the war on cars. I mean, you know. He's the one, you know, I, I, I don't want to get snarky about it, although I, gee, he didn't get reelected, did he? I, I, don't, I don't think people were happy with the direction the city was headed. You know, quality of life is diminishing for many people. If you, you know, the most, most trips people take around Seattle and around the region are in cars. 82% of the trips people in the Puget Sound region take are in cars. And trips mean every time you have to do something, not necessarily going to and from work, but you know, every time you have to go somewhere, it's almost the vast majority of those trips are done by car. And you know, cities have to recognize that, and you know, take that into consideration, and you know, not you know, not diminish the concerns of all those people who just have to use a car every now and then. Uh, and he, I think, in, infers that. You infer. I, I, there's a lot of inferring going on here, but <laughs> but uh, historic buildings would be torn down, and it would just be paved with asphalt and Greenwood and Lake City and all those places. Is that, is yeah. that what you want done? No, of course not. It's, it's ridiculous. And you know, those are those are the dog whistles for his crowd. Uh, they, you know, they're like, oh, you, you can't build your way out of it. So you and, and you know, Briar Dudley's riding from behind a windshield. Blah blah blah. I mean. You know, there's this crowd of people who are very passionate about this, and they kind of see Seattle streets as a sandbox to experiment and implement their ideologies about how people should get around. And, you know, they are in a minority of the population, but they have a lot of influence at City Hall. City Hall's new growth plan reflects that perspective. I don't think that the majority of people in Seattle or in the Puget Sound region agree with that. I just have kind of a half-baked idea for you. I haven't fully thought this through, but going with the Westmoreland analogy, we, we could call it the smog of war. <laughs> That's exactly. Well, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's true. We're not going to pave over Seattle. We're not, there's no, you know, the city's pretty full right now. The question isn't, should we build our way out of this? The, the question should be, if we have a maximum, you know, if we're pretty full right now, should we be reducing roads even further? And that's, that's something the city talks about in their growth plan. They say, yeah, you know, congestion's going to get worse, and not just because we're growing, but because we're going to be taking lanes away and converting general purpose lanes to bike lanes. And they just come right out and say that. Yeah, that's going to make congestion worse, and we're going to do it. And I, I don't think be, I, part of the reason to write this is so people are aware that these changes are happening. They can talk to the city council and say, hey, this works for me or it doesn't work for me. By the way, where do you commute from, and how do you get here? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I take the bus in, and I walk home. Uh, you know, Every now and then, I'll experiment with one of these car-sharing-slash-rental things. Those are pretty fun, but you know, walking home is my exercise, and uh, it's kind of nice to get out of the office, and after all these people are calling me a screed writer and walk home and 
you're not driving a Hummer up Denny then. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> but you know, and I, I do have a car, and I have a family, and we have to go places sometimes. As I, I mentioned on the, another appearance recently, you know, last weekend my kid had a soccer game at the far end of town. So the only way to get there is family of four. We can take a car. It would take probably three, four hours for us to take a bus there. There's no way we could bike. And lots of people have those kind of things. There's a million anecdotes about why people need to get around in vehicles. Now, Briar walks, takes the bus. Mm-hmm. I, I drive my, my Como car. Naturally. And <laughs> I got to tell you. That's a chick uh, magnet. It is. One of, one of the things. Let me just tell you about driving a car that's marked as a news vehicle. It mm-hmm. is a magnet. It's almost akin to having a cop car in that you will drive up into a neighborhood. Everybody looks. They look at you and they're like, what's wrong? Yeah. Where's the disaster? <laughs> or where are you come to report on us for? You're it, kind of the opposite of the ice cream man. You're it, totally silent. Right. You show up and no one wants you. Or you, this happens in my neighborhood. I'll stop by the grocery store and like the teenage boys, yo, Como! And then what? Then I just slowly drive away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to avoid the situation. Well, those teens, they can be dangerous. These kids today. That's right. Well, you know, one of the nice things, though, about taking public transit or walking is, you know, you can have a drink. You can't do that if you're driving the car. I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do that on public transit or walking. Well, no, I mean, in, instead of, you know, driving your own vehicle, you have someone else drive for Oh, you. of course, yeah. of course. That's what you're trying to say, at That's least. That's what I'm trying to get out of the face hole that I have. Well, we all know drinking can be an enjoyable activity. You go out with some friends. Friends, maybe have a happy night. Now, researchers have finally proven what we've all known to be true. Como's Jeff Pojola has the latest on this. They got funding for that story. I want bourbon, I want Scott, I want beer. George Thorogood seems to have gotten it right. Drinking does, in fact, make us happy. So it was like, oh, good. Social science has finally caught up with what the rest of us have known for thousands of years. That's Chris Ingram. He's a reporter with the Washington Post, and he looked into a study that linked booziness to happiness. What they did is they had this app. It was a, It's an iPhone app, and it's downloaded on millions of people's phones. And it, every couple times a day, asks them how happy they are and what they're doing. People who said that they were drinking... They were on average about 10 points happier, and that's on a scale of 1 to 100. But there was a catch, of course. You know, one of the things about drinking is that there are all sorts of other things that we tend to do while we are drinking that also boost happiness. You know, we, you know, we go to the bar, we hang out with friends, we talk, we socialize, we eat, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. And so the researchers wanted to control for all of these things. And? They still found a pretty robust and healthy association between drinking and happiness. On average, drinking makes us about 10% happier. Apologies to ABC. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. But what's more is that they found that booze seems to act as something of a social painkiller. When people are doing something that they generally don't like, like commuting on a train or waiting in line, if they were drinking while they were doing these things, they found that the the boost of happiness from the alcohol was actually quite a bit greater. Now there's an idea, drinking while on a bus or in the checkout line. Drinking really does a great job of alleviating the pain of the things that we don't like in life. Now if I can just convince the boss to let me keep a six-pack at my desk, or at least... I want bourbon, I want Scott, I want beer. Jeff Poge, look, Como News. Think about drinking, Taylor. I, I don't know if you've ever done it, but... No, I went to Washington State University. Right. Strictly forbidden. We you don't, don't do have that. access to no, it there. Not, e- not even a little. 
you might go from 5% to 10%, and then you, your brain gets the idea, hey, if I go to 10%, maybe I'll go to 40%. Right. It doesn't. It then goes to negative 10%, then to negative 50%. And that's why I find you crying in corners after a, a night out. Well, you find me crying in corners at quitting time. Oh, well, that too. Yeah. You know what else is legal? Hmm. Marijuana is legal in Washington State, Taylor. That's right. Now, proponents of it believe it could lead to a reduction in illegal drug trafficking. Did it work? Well, in short, yeah, but it's not that simple. I spoke with Chris Ingram from the Washington Post who dug through some new numbers. Chris, let's start with the basics. When do we see a noticeable decline? The decline started right about um, in 2012, 2013, and that was just after Colorado and Washington voters uh, voted to legalize marijuana. And the decline was pretty sharp in that first year alone. Up until then, there have been over 6,000 federal marijuana trafficking offenses per year. By 2013, that had dropped down to just a little bit over 4,000. And that number continues to to fall even up until 2015. So essentially a third fewer arrests in a really short span of time. Basically, yeah. And uh, so the, you know, the, the kind of the big question is why? Why is this happening? And, you know, I've been making some phone calls trying to figure this out. Nobody really seems to know these data. They're from the Sentencing Commission, so they don't really answer that. But there, there are a number of potential factors. Um, it could simply be, you know, people could be smuggling just as much, but they're getting better at hiding it. Um, it could be uh, that marijuana legalization is playing a role. And one of the more interesting theories I've heard is that, you know, with more marijuana being grown domestically, particularly with states legalizing, that gives less of an incentive for Americans to import marijuana from places like Mexico. And since these are all federal crimes, it's likely that um, international imports they uh, take up a big chunk of these cases. So it could be this just being a function of there's more domestic marijuana, there are less international traffickers coming to the country, so there are simply less trafficking offenses. So I got to think, you know, a lot of it is just kind of demand. It's easier to walk into a store than to find some guy in a parking lot. I think so. I mean, the interesting thing is it's only, so only a handful of states have legalized so far, right? There's only, I think it's four plus the District of Columbia. And one of the things we've been hearing often in the past couple of years is you hear from law enforcement saying, you know, you know, it's kind of the Wild West in Colorado and people are taking Colorado marijuana and they're either shipping it elsewhere or they're trying to smuggle it elsewhere. And, you know, it's flooding the country with this cheap, high quality uh, Colorado marijuana. But then when you look at these numbers, it, it really strongly suggests that at least on the big national picture, um, you know, that that isn't happening. It doesn't. We know certainly that there are some cases of people taking pot out of Colorado and Washington illegally. But if you look at the numbers, it doesn't look like it's making a real big difference to the overall trend of illegal marijuana trafficking. And I think you have to kind of, uh, uh, you know, accept that that's a pretty good thing from a law enforcement perspective. You mentioned earlier that smugglers could just be getting smarter about how they hide the pot. Anybody still trying to send stuff through the U.S. Postal Service? We don't have a whole lot of state-level data yet, but the Postal Inspection Service does have some... um, national data, and they, they've they found also that the number of, it's, it's not just smuggling, it's not just people trafficking marijuana that's decreasing, but also the number of people trying to ship it via the Postal Service, that seems to be decreasing too. So these are two pretty big, pretty accurate federal data sets saying that smuggling of marijuana in particular is just shooting downward. Chris Ingram from the Washington Post with us. His whole article and more on the data he used can be found online at WashingtonPost.com.
So these numbers don't take into account other drug trafficking arrests, methamphetamine, heroin, which is obviously a nationwide problem now. Bath salts. Well, yeah, if you're in Florida. But the the real thing here was basically there is such a domestic problem. Uh, a domestic industry for this marijuana now, nobody really needs to import it from Mexico or from Canada. Isn't it going to be weird? Here's the thing I, I've often thought about because uh, not my thing. I, I think I'm like too old now to really uh, to try be, marijuana. <laughs> well, <laughs> to be into the marijuana scene. But I, I imagine, think about our grandparents and how they went through prohibition. That's right. And there is a stigma, especially among some older people. If you were to bring wine over, a bottle, there's still like kind of this weirdness. At least when I was a kid, there's this weirdness that, yeah, well, well, and now you're, I don't, I still don't think a lot of people are taking over an ounce of weed for Thanksgiving like they would a <laughs> bottle of red wine. I, I would think not, but can you imagine 40 years from now in the future where, you know, your grandkids are bringing over a bong for, I, I mean, maybe for a centerpiece. I just don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Nah. But, yeah. Unless it's really decorative. One of the concepts that, might have gone through people's mind mm-hmm. with, with something like that happening is what if Dan Wilson forced Jay Buhner to play with a salami instead of a bat? Is this post-marijuana legalization? It has nothing to do with it. Oh, we're, okay. we're moving on. Okay. We're not even talking about that. How dare you? Well, you know, I'm just trying to follow up on the topic. Will Randy Johnson, the pitcher, hit more home runs than Clint Dempsey, the soccer player? We'll find out Sunday when the United Way hosts the fourth annual All-Star Softball Classic to benefit homeless youth at Safeco Field. Earlier, Como's Tom Hutler spoke with the United Way's Jared Erlinson. Er, Erlinson. Jared Erlinson. Erlinson. Or Gerald Erlinson. Earlier, Como's Tom Hutler spoke with United Way's Jared Erlinson. This was the fourth annual All-Star Softball Classic uh, presented by Microsoft. Yes, Safeco Field will be open with all the trimmings, just like a Mariners game. Uh, and we'll have a range of celebrity players. We have a great roster. Uh, Dan is captain and Jay is captain going up against uh, each other for the fourth year. It's just a fantastic event with thousands of people coming out to support youth in our community. This is a great event, and I want to urge fans to come out because it is a softball game, and it is a benefit, but everybody on the field and in the stands gets a chance to participate. Tell our listeners about how some of the ways the, the fans can interact here. Absolutely. You know, it's a softball game, but we add some shenanigans in there. We want to make sure that it's participatory, and so – Fans are able to vote for their favorite players or for the teams by making donations. Uh, You'll see some stoppages of play where uh, players are inflicting penalties on each other. So maybe they'll have to go up to bat with a salami, like we said, or it'll turn into a wiffle ball game. This year we've got some special surprises up our sleeves as well. Uh, You'll see see some mascots from our favorite teams getting out there and participating. And every home run ball that goes over the fence will be autographed by whoever hit it and given to one of the the youth in the stands. Uh, Just a lot of fun on on a Sunday afternoon. Can you give us a rundown on some of the celebrities we're going to see? You know, we've got... From all our sports teams, we have folks, uh, the Seahawks are sending John Ryan and his fiance uh, Sarah Colonna, who's a fantastic comedian. Cooper Helfit will be there, Jermaine Kearse, uh, Marcus Trufant, some of the great alum. Mariners aren't being left out. Of course, there's uh, Jay Buhner and Dan Wilson, but Dave Valley's coming. And get this, the big unit is going to be out there. I can't wait to see him uh, taking some swings at a softball. That's not something you see every day. Um, Como News Team morning anchor for Como TV, Kelly Koopmans, is there. 
Bachelorettes from ABC's uh, The Bachelor and Bachelorette, Molly and Jason Mesnick, Shauna Desiree Lowe. The list goes on. Uh, best-selling author Garth Stein, um, chefs Ethan Stoll and John Howell. You're going to have a little competition that fans can be paying attention to. So it's just chock full of good stuff. Pretty cool event happens Sunday, three o'clock. Gates open to the public at one thirty. And if you have kids, you can have them run the bases following the game. That's at about four thirty. The thing I love about those run the base days is you yeah. see them at a pretty good speed around first. First, they round towards second, and then by you know third base, these little kids that are four feet tall really start huffing and puffing. I mean, they look just like me. Well, you're about four foot three, something so, like that, right? Yeah. Right. But maybe they're just slowing down, enjoying the moment. Yeah, or or maybe the uh, the they're, sugar high from, they're tuckered <laughs> from the out. cotton candy has finally crashed. <laughs> All right. You ever found Siri? Well, I, I found Siri in my pocket was going to say I found Siri in my pants, but that would sound weird. I wanted to find Siri in my heart. Well, good. You spoke to Siri. Did you find her a bit useless? Siri, are you able to make restaurant reservations? I can't answer that. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely You're saying Apple, Apple may have finally noticed that? Uh, it's Yeah. Finally, they're starting to think, okay, maybe these gimmicks aren't so great. And I was able to speak with a reporter from the Washington Post about some some of the latest product development rumors. And, well, these rumors, while they are only rumors, they come from a pretty reliable source within the company that's been correct about product release information in the past. Haley Tsukayama is a tech reporter from the Washington Post and joins me here on Como. What are the tech blogs buzzing about this time? This rumor that Apple is going to be opening up Siri, its voice assistant, um, to more developers to let them kind of get in there and use more of Siri's superpowers uh, on your phone, which is good for consumers who maybe are a little frustrated with how limited Siri can be. Well, Haley, I'm not ashamed to say I don't really use Siri on my phone unless I'm, you know, really, really bored. Siri, tell me a joke. Taylor, get serious. <laughs> right, yeah, seriously. She never really sees the light of day with me. Yeah, I think, you know, when Siri launched, there was a lot of excitement about sort of the promise of, you know, she can send your text messages, you can do this, you can do that. Um, and then the reality has been, uh, quite frankly, a little more frustrating. Um, you know, sometimes Siri will be able to direct you to an app, but not actually do anything for you. Um, and I know it sounds like a really whiny complaint to say, hey, my robot assistant can't do everything for me. But, uh, you know, if you're advertising it as a main feature of the phone, then it really should be able to, to have some greater capability. So what should we be using Siri for? What do you use it for, Haley? Um, I use Siri mostly, you know, mostly just to test things that, uh, you know, that Apple tells me it can do. Sometimes I dictate text messages, um, which are not always successful. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I ask Siri for sports scores or something like that. Um, but I don't use it as much as, as I would like to, and certainly not as much as I thought I would when I first got the phone. Now, the tech blog, the information is the one that broke all of this, including possibly opening up Siri to other developers and maybe Apple trying to compete with other smart speakers on the market like Amazon Echo. Alexa, what do you do? I can play music, answer questions, get the news on weather create to-do lists, and much more. And the upcoming Google Home. Okay, Google, I'm listening. Your flight to Portland is delayed by 30 minutes. Now, for those of us who haven't used one of those devices, what would Siri be up against? So Amazon Echo is also, again, it's and, and Google Home. They're both sort of really promising but haven't quite hit, uh, you know, hit their stride yet. So um, 
But one one advantage that Amazon Echo and Google Home will also have this is that they work with you know your your smart appliances if you happen to have them. So you can say you know turn the lights on in the living room or turn the thermostat up five degrees. That's sort of I think in the broader goal uh, where all these companies are headed. Right? They want you to have a home hub that you can talk to, like the Star Trek computer, where you can just say you know computer, I want this information, or I want you to do this, and it'll just happen like magic. And do outside developers have access to uh, Amazon, or will they to Google Home? Yeah, so both Amazon and Google are known for being, you know, they have a more open um, approach to developers, and, you know, they, they kind of let developers play around more with those features. We're talking with Haley Sukayama from the Washington Post. Apple is expected to confirm all of this at some point during their developers conference in late June. At this point, Haley, is it too much ground for Apple to make up? Uh, I wouldn't count them out. You know, people really like Apple. They really like Apple products. So I think what we're going to see is uh, kind of a battle similar to what we saw play out for smartphones five or six years ago. And uh, I think it's an exciting time to be a consumer. The whole story available online at WashingtonPost.com. Siri, can you give me a traffic report every 10 minutes on the fours? Okay, I found this on the web for Siri. Can you give me a traffic report every 10 minutes on the fours? I think it's safe to say that's a no. And score one for Como. All right, so Taylor, to recap the Como water cooler for today. We have discussed... Artificial intelligence, salami, artificial intelligence, (laughs) Uh uh, legal marijuana. Right, 405 tolls. 405 beer. I do like the beer. We've had all of that, but we haven't gotten to cursing children. Oh, you have kids. I do. Have they brought home any fun words recently? (laughs) They occasionally do. What I often mutter under my breath is I say, God bless it. I'm trying to (laughs) keep it PG around the kids. And my kid... Just the other day, he's getting frustrated with something, and I, I hear him very loudly, God bless it! <laughs> well, you know, they are kind of, uh, I guess, Im- imitating you, Yeah, yeah, you. it could be a lot worse. Yeah. Could be a lot worse. Well, and that's what Como's Brian Calvert found out, that nightmare that parents like Charlie find popping up every once in a while, a kid coming home with a new word you wish they never heard. God bless it! It was a day like any other day in a quaint London flat. There's mom, there's dad, six-year-old Riley, and Riley's little brother. And then came a sound that seemed to reverberate through the halls and brought life as this family knew it to a screeching halt. The sound? Well, it was more of a word. As Philip Abbott and his partner Kirsty Haley sat in horror, their six-year-old had just said... Again and again, Riley said the word. Okay, Riley, time for a talk. The parents of the preschooler were puzzled. They hadn't used that word, so they asked our six-year-old, Riley, that's a bad word. Where did you learn that word? The book, he said. Riley motioned to a book, more of a toy. It belonged to his younger brother. Mom and Dad quickly flipped through the pages. Nope, no mention of in here. No, the buttons. Riley pointed to the buttons on the side of the book. You see, this was a toy much like those old see and say or see and speak toys where you pull the string. Which is slightly fortuitous, a cow in the letter C, because that's the letter that Riley pressed, but cow was not the word he had heard. Fisher Price's interactive book was all about C words.
This is an actual recording of Riley's toy. Each time you press the letter C, you get a different C word. And I'm just going to fade it right there. It's a C word, all right, and it rhymes with dock, rock, and mock. <laughs> yes, this innocent little toy was likely identifying that bird, but try telling that to the parents of a six-year-old whose new favorite word is <laughs> Brian Calvert, Como News. You know that word's in the Bible, right? It crowed three times. Oh, did it? I'm not familiar. It crowed three times. So maybe these parents need to lighten up. I think little Riley um, probably said it more than three times. Okay, maybe that's the point. Hey, listen, this has been fun today. I think we should do this again. Really? Yeah. All right, we'll do it like weekly, I guess. Okay, okay. So next week we have a lot of fantastic guests. Dalai Lama will not be one of them. Okay, you promised me Obama last week. No, I said Obama would not be on the show. Oh. I didn't call his office, and we are not getting the president next week either. Oh, well, uh, regardless, we do hope you tune in to Como News all throughout the weekend, week, whenever you find this podcast. You can find us online at comonews.com, AM 1000, FM 97.7. Russell talked about his uh, big tight end. All right, I'm Charlie. I'm Taylor. We're out.